0: morning, can you hear me? I tend to not turn my microphone on, so I wanted to make sure that you could hear me. Happy Sabbath. Are you excited to be in the house of the Lord? Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Okay, that's convincing, I'll take it. God has been really good to us, hasn't he? It's been a wonderful, wonderful year. begin this morning i want to share an experience with you that i had this past friday i was uh driving from home had an appointment with a with a good friend of mine and on my way i didn't realize just thinking about the meeting i was actually behind i was running late and pulled up to a stop sign and didn't realize that i actually ran the stop sign i did what you call a california stop you know like you just roll along and right as I rolled, rolled along there was a police officer just a few meters away and he observed my car <laughs> and observed carefully and as soon as I rolled off he, his lights came on and he followed me right here in division and pulled me over. I was sitting in the car thinking I'm already late. I'm getting pulled over. This is going to take a while. He came to my window, asked me for my information, and yeah, pastors make mistakes too, and he asked me for my information, I gave him everything, and then he uh, asked me, so where are you going? I said, uh, you know, I'm going to my church uh, right up the street, you know, your church, oh, okay, all right, interesting, ran a stop sign, but yeah, you're a pastor, I see, that's good. Um, and then I, I told him, I'm from the university church, and said, I know that church, that's what he said, and I figured, well, that is pretty awesome. And then he said, don't worry, this is not going to take too long. Took my information, brought it back to his car, and then went through his entire process, and then he came back to my window, and instead of giving me a ticket, he gave me his card. Isn't that that amazing? Gave me his card and said, Pastor, I'd like to invite you to do a ride-along with me. I don't know if you've heard about the ride-alongs, but some societies or some different communities or states are doing these things now where they couple pastors along with police officers to meet the needs of the community. Now, this is interesting because not only does this meet the need of the community, but it also helps the police officers because a lot of police officers they're finding out are struggling with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is because of what they've experienced in life. They see a lot of different things. And I I know what it's like. I've, I've worked in close relationship with the police force in my country, and some of the things that we had to deal with, they were not normal. And so I, found it a, uh, I, I thought this was an amazing opportunity that God has given. And so I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that our church is a light in this community. Amen? Amen. And that even police officers know that we are here. So please continue to let your light shine. Amen. And then, do not run stop signs. <laughs> let us pray together. Loving Father in heaven, I am so grateful that i get this opportunity to stand before your people to share a message that you have first shared with me this morning lord as we talk about obed i pray that we may find the lesson that your bible has to teach to all of us this morning i ask that nothing else be said except that which jesus wants to communicate to all of our hearts this morning and lord i give you my life i give you this time I ask that you use me now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you ever travel to this place called um, Livermore, California, you'll stumble upon an interesting site. In fact, the year was 1976. There was an escort going through the streets of Livermore, California, and if you were standing there, you would have thought that someone important was coming to town. There were police officers and fire trucks. These group of, of, of uh, safety officers are moving through the streets to deliver something very important to that community. It's interesting because, again, if you were standing on the street side of Livermore, California, and looking at what was going on, you would have thought the president of the United States had come to this small town in California. But they weren't delivering a person. They were actually actually delivering a light bulb. Have you ever heard the statement, how many men does it take to install a light bulb? Here it is that the entire city was was moving and carrying this light bulb from one fire station to the next. This light bulb was special, though. This light bulb wasn't your ordinary light bulb. It was first installed in 1901. This light bulb is called the Centennial Light Bulb. It was installed on L Street. And it was being moved from L Street to Livermore, from one fire station to the next. And this light bulb was special. This light bulb has been shining for 128 years. Think about that. One light bulb. How many times have you had to replace a light bulb? This light bulb was was installed in 19... Oh, 01 and has been shining since that time the the, the 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 truth is the only time that this light bulb was turned off Was during a renovation and it was turned off for just one week This light bulb continues to shine as of 2019 this light bulb has been shining for 128 years and people travel to this one fire station in Livermore, California to see this light bulb glowing It looks archaic It looks like an old light bulb, but nonetheless, it shines. When this light bulb was first installed, they said that it had to be connected directly to the power source. The power was not stepped down. It was literally shining or taking 120 volts to to, to emanate that light in this fire station. And they said the more power you give to this light, the the more it shined. They said that other light bulbs that were invented at that time, the more power you would give to them, they would literally pop open. They would explode. But not this light bulb, the centennial light bulb. Light is important to all of us. This, of course, in a literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense. When the light in our home goes out, we get uncomfortable. We ask ourselves, I do not want to stay in the darkness for too long. And though this does not happen in America too often, we do know what it means to be in darkness. Light is important. When the rays of the sunlight hits us in Michigan, we celebrate. In Florida, people might complain about the sunshine. They might say it's too hot in Florida, but in Michigan, we celebrate. As soon as the sun shines, the conversation changes. Do do, do you really, do you see what's happening outside? It's so bright. Do you feel that? The sun is shining. We feel joyful all of a sudden. In winter, the conversation is, have you been taking your vitamin D? Have Have you taken yours yet? But when the sun shines in Michigan, no one asks that question. I go out into the sunshine, right? We appreciate light. It makes us happy. Darkness makes us sad. One scientist says that if one spends more than 48 hours in pitch darkness, you begin to lose your very identity. Within two days, you have no clue where you are or who you are, you begin to lose your sanity. This is exactly what was happening in the book of Judges. This dramatic book is better than any soap opera. The book of Judges is just going from one extreme to the next. The book of Judges finds us at a time where it was literally insanity going on among God's people. The last time we spoke together, we talked about the stones. And I would say that in the book of Judges, the stones were forgotten a long time ago. God's people had walked away from God. There are still questions that I wrote in my Bible. And going through our message, message today, I, I thought about... Those questions, and you know, all those questions, at least most of them, find themselves in the book of Judges. There are still some questions that I don't have the answer to, and they're in the book of Judges. Some of the actions are they're impossible to explain. I can't wait to get to heaven because I have a lot of questions for God. I want to bring my Bible with me. And I'll say, Lord, the book of Judges, though, I mean, look, this, this, this guy, was this something you required of him? What's happening here in this book? But the book of Judges is a book that is dark. This, the insane actions of God's people, illustrates what happens when mankind chooses to live in darkness rather than light. The book of Judges illustrates that the light bulb had been flickering for a very long time as if turned off for a week. God was trying to communicate with his people, but nonetheless, there was a huge problem. No one would listen. They had forsaken the very God who had brought them from Egypt, now into the Promised Land, and now generations after generation had passed. And now, where is God? Turn with me to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2, 10 to 12, page 277. And don't don't forget, we're talking about Obed. We're just laying the groundwork now. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. This is the condition. This is where we find ourselves um, in this time frame. God's people had forsaken him. The Bible says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not what? They did not know the Lord. Nor the work which he had done for... Israel, they had forgotten the stones. Then the children of Israel did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, verse 12, the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger they forsook the lord and served baal and the Ashtaroths. and here it is that among god's people they were sacrificing their very children to these heathen gods they had forgotten god a dark dark chapter in the experience of god's people over and over again you find god in the book of judges trying to communicate trying to bring his people back from the darkness they were in from the insanity insanity that they had found themselves and every attempt seemed to have failed. The glimmer of hope was, was teetering on the brink. There was Deborah. There was Gideon, Samson, and Jephthah. But one after the other seemed to have messed up along the way. The conflict of judges was that man would not submit to the rulership and the guide that God was providing And over again, over and over again, we're reminded as we find in Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, page 298. These are the words that we find repeated in the book of Judges, page 298. Page 298, the Bible says in Judges 17 and verse 6, In those days, there was no king in Israel. And what happened? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so the book of Judges is, is, is a picture of what happens when man chooses to do what is right in his own eyes. No one else to consult but themselves. And so this dark book of the Bible seemed to communicate to us that man should not trust himself. Men should not ever forget God. Because then the light goes out. The book of Judges end this way judges chapter 21 and verse 25 this is the last verse of the book of Judges and I would tell you that God had made several attempts and if only those attempts had, had moved his people to a point where they would trust him more than themselves but the book ends this way in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what what was right right in his own eyes this is how the book of Judges end think about that this is how the book of Judges end everyone did that which was right in his own eyes this one truth carried us all the way through the book of Judges And I tell you that all that you see in the book of Judges is a result of men trying to live life without God. And over and over again, they tried. And the conclusion came back. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. The light bulb had flickered. The centennial light almost went out, as if turned off. But God would use an unlikely hero to save the day. An unlikely hero that shows up during this time in the book of Judges. Though there were dark times, God would use an unlikely hero. Ruth became this light bulb. She was not an Israelite, she was a Moabite. She did not belong to the tribe of Judah, she was a stranger. Ruth had suffered many things. Having lost her husband, she had given up her home. And now there was a famine. And this is where the book of Ruth begins. The book of Judges end with the words, And there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But the book of of Ruth begins with her story. Ruth, the greatest love story of the Bible... And preachers often say, every Ruth will find herself a Boaz, and every Boaz will find himself a Ruth. And amen to that. (laughs) But there's a greater truth, a deeper truth to this story. It's a love story of salvation. It's a love story of what God attempts to do when the world gets dark. It's a story of God trying to use an individual to bring light to the darkness of the world. And this darkness, sadly, was among his own people. Ruth had suffered many things. Lost her husband, there was a famine in the land, hunger was setting in, and Naomi was now contemplating going back to Bethlehem. Ruth, chapter 1 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Now it came to pass, in the days when what? You see, the book of Ruth is not separated from the book of Judges. This story finds itself centered in this time of darkness. It happened in the time when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, names mean a lot in the book of Ruth. Bethlehem... Means house of bread. Bethlehem means what? Just imagine with me. There was a famine. In the land that meant. House of bread. When God's people. Walk away from his command. There will be a famine. Where there should be house. Where there should be bread. And so there was a famine. In the place called the house of bread. Bethlehem was supposed to be. A famous place that provided for all around it but men had walked away from God and so there was a famine Bethlehem is the house of bread and the man by the name of Elimelech in verse 2 the name of his wife was Naomi and the names of his two sons were uh, Malon and Chilion, effortites of Bethlehem and they went to the country of Moab and remained there Elimelech gathered his family together and they decided that they were going to make a transition. And so they moved from the house of bread to this place called Moab. The literal translation, as you look at the Psalms, Moab, God says, is my wash pot. And the translation is literally trash heap. And so look at it. God's people moved from the house of bread to live where? In the trash heap. Elimonek has a meaning too. Elimelech means God is my king. Naomi means pleasant. Such a beautiful story, right? God is my king marries this pleasant woman. And they move from the house of bread to a trash heap. Brought their family with them. And one author says that the book of Ruth illustrates what happens in this story and has some connection with the New Testament because Elimelech's family was literally a prodigal family they had moved from where god wanted them to be and they landed in the land of moab and that's where they were living and tragedy struck both father and two sons died and now naomi was left with the two girls naomi was left with the two girls now Naomi was having a conversation with the two girls. And it says here in verse 8 of Ruth chapter 1. And Naomi said to her two daughters in law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, three widows weeping. Considering the tragedy that had happened, considering the fact they had lost all their husbands, lost all their possessions. And now Naomi was thinking, I need to go back to the house of bread. But there was Ruth and there was Orpah. Ruth means a friend. Orpah means neck. Don't name your children that, right? Or stiff-necked, stubborn. Here it is that you have these names just playing out in the book of Ruth. It's just such an amazing picture, right? You have, you have Naomi who is pleasant, right? She has, she has these two daughters-in-law, one a friend and then the other a bit stubborn. And, and another translation says that uh, Oprah's name means dear. That is not D-E-A-R, but dear, as in D-E-E-R, as in fast. She ran pretty fast. And now they're having a conversation. Just imagine these women weeping on each other's shoulders and talking about what's going to happen next. And Naomi says, go home, please. I have nothing to offer you. I am old. And even if I find myself another husband, I cannot give you a child that will be your husband. I have nothing to give to you. Orpah listened carefully. And Orpah decided to go back to Moab. But Ruth had a different different outlook. Verse 14, the Bible says, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, what does the Bible say? Clung. Clung to her. Then she said, Look, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. So Naomi was literally encouraging them, go back to your gods. Not just go back to Moab, go back to your gods. And that is the heathen gods of the Moabites. The Bible tells us who the Moabites were. They were connected to this this awful relationship that, that Lot had with his daughters. That's how the Moabites were brought into the world. And so here it is that she's saying, go back to the heathen gods that you know. Go back to the place that has the possessions to offer you, but not Ruth. Ruth refused. Ruth said in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. Another way of saying it, do not ask me to leave because I'm not going to. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and you're what? God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Such a character. Such an amazing individual. This, this story of weeping Brings to light a hero. And here it is. In the moment of tragedy. When you want people to stick close to you. Some may walk away. But some choose to stay. And Ruth was one who chose to stay. She was being told to go back home. But she decided, no. I'm going to stay with you. And you noticed in the book of Ruth. That Ruth decided to do nothing else with her life. But simply to take care of Naomi. Naomi. That's all she did. She dedicated her life to serve. She did what? She dedicated her life to? To serve. And in this case, Ruth had dedicated her life to serve Naomi. No matter where they went, Ruth Ruth wanted to take care of her mother-in-law. And so we learn these things about Ruth. She was a servant. She was a what? Over and over again, you find in the book of Ruth that she was classified as a servant. Ruth chapter 2, verse 13, for example, on page 307, the Bible says here in verse 13, finally, having a conversation with Boaz, the Bible says, Then she said, meaning Ruth, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your what? Maidservant. Maidservant. Though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Ruth understood that she was a stranger. And by the way, back then, they didn't treat strangers kindly in Bethlehem. In fact, Moab understood this. And so Moab told her, I mean, uh, Boaz, uh, Boaz told her, do not leave my field to go anywhere else. Because if you do, it might not be safe. Boaz took care of Ruth. But Ruth was a servant. She was a what? Ruth chapter 3 and verse 9. The Bible says this in verse 9 of chapter 3 of, of the book of Ruth, page 308. And he said, who are you? This is Ruth showed up one night. Boaz had fell asleep and she had uncovered his feet and was laying there. And Boaz, waking up by the, 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 the feeling of something on his, uh, by his feet, and he was scared and asked the, self, asked, asked the question, who are you? So Ruth answered, I am Ruth. What is the next word? So Ruth was a what? She was a servant. Take your maid servant under your wing, for you are a close relative. This wonderful story illustrates the life of a servant. See, Ruth, in the beginning of Ruth, though there is tragedy, she chose to serve. In the time of the judges, everyone chose to serve themselves, but Ruth chose to serve someone else. In the time of the judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes, but Ruth chose to do what was right in God's eyes. She was living a different life. Ruth was a what? Servant. And so we come to the end of the book of Ruth, where we find the name Obed. The end of Ruth is different from the end of Judges in various ways. The end of the book of Ruth outlines for us a genealogy, but a genealogy that is special in every sense of the word. Because in this genealogy, there is a man that is included there that we all know. And the name of the man is who? David. The Bible says in Ruth chapter 4 and verse 18, now this is the gene- genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, page 310. Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begat Nathan, and Nathan begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begat begat Obed. Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David, from whom. Jesus came. Can you imagine if Ruth had chosen or decided to go back home to Moab? Can you imagine if Ruth had decided not to be a servant, what this book would read like? Ruth was a servant. You see, God uses servants, He always does. God cannot use those who choose to serve themselves. This is the end of the book of Ruth. Tragedy had turned to triumph. Unfortunate circumstances now turns to fortune. From the trash heap of Moab, we find Ruth in the house of Boaz. From forsaken to loved and cherished, from hunger to satisfaction. Yet what stands out the most to me is the fact that Ruth was a servant. Now, as I said, a lot of people spend time talking about the beautiful love story of Ruth and Boaz. It is indeed a love story. Ruth was a virtuous woman. She was of the special kind. Boaz had found himself a wonderful lady, but nonetheless, Ruth was a servant. Beyond the beautiful story of man and wife, beyond the tragedy of Uh, beyond tragedy to triumph, we see that this story teaches, teaches us that only servants can bring servants into the world. Obed's name means servant of God. So here it is that God uses Ruth to bring a servant of God into the world. Notice how Obed got his name. Just imagine with me for a second that you're about to have a child. Your wife is about to deliver, and husband, you might be here, and you are in the hospital. The entire congregation decides to come pay you both a visit. And on the visit, we come and we say, your child's name is going to be this. Just imagine the church deciding the name of your child for you how would that work there would be a lot of protest no his name is Timothy we're like no his name is Obed no Timothy Obed that's his name but interestingly enough the book of Ruth in chapter 4 doesn't say that Naomi named the child it doesn't say that Ruth named the child but someone else named the child verse 17 also the neighbor woman gave him a name saying there's a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed the neighbors gave the child the name the community named the child amazing isn't it but the community had seen something in the life of Ruth and it made sense only a servant can bring a servant into the world you see, Obed's name was given by the neighborhood. They had seen the activity, the actions of Ruth. Ruth taking care of Naomi was not a secret. Boaz, before even meeting Ruth or learned her story, everyone knew who Ruth was mother, grandmother, all taken care of. And now the child was given a name. Ruth. And answer the age-old question that one would ask themselves while studying the book of Judges. When I study the book of Judges, the question I'm asking, where is the servant of God? And Ruth, the book of Ruth, chimes back with a loud answer: here is the servant of God. I am one, and my son will follow in that line. Where are the servants of God today? Because the world is still dark. Where are the centennial light bulbs that are still shining? There are too many Christians who shine for five days, 10 days, 30 days, but not 128 years. Where are the light bulbs? Ruth answered that question. His name means, his name is Obed. He will be called a servant of God. Only a servant can bring a servant into the world. It's interesting that this Obed was born in Bethlehem. Where was he born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Ruth was the mother of Obed. I read one author who said that Ruth is the Mary of the Old Testament. Bringing a servant of God into the world. Who was born where? In Bethlehem. More specifically, Bethlehem Ephrata. Where was Jesus himself born? Bethlehem. The exact same place. Though at another time and another place, Bethlehem of Judah, as one writer puts it, Ruth is the Mary of the Old Testament. I believe she is. And if Ruth is the Mary of the Old Testament, this lowly, humble girl who chose to serve Mary did the same. When the angel Gabriel appeared unto her, she was told that she was about to bring a son into the world. He will be great, Gabriel said, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary responds in these words. Then Mary said, Behold, the servant of the Lord, let it be according to To your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary called herself like Ruth had called herself, a maidservant. Mary said, Behold, your maidservant, let it be according to your word. You see, only servants can bring servants into the world. You see, if Ruth was the Mary of the Old Testament, then Jesus is the Obed of the New Testament. Both born in Bethlehem. Both connected to the tribe of Judah. Both connected to the throne of David. Only a servant can bring a servant into the world. Ruth was a servant of the living God. Mary was a servant of the living God. Beloved, if Christ is to be preached in the world today, he needs servants. And if we're not servants of Christ, this gospel will never be preached. A servant has no right to himself or herself. While others may do what is right in their own eyes, a servant has no right beyond what his or her master tells him. While others may go places they want and say things that they want to whenever they want, a servant cannot do that. His master governs his speech, his master governs his actions. Are you a servant of God? You see, a servant of God lives a different life. In fact, a servant of God knows that his life does not belong to him or her. Someone once told an allegorical story involving Jesus. Jesus, it is said, had given the gospel commission to his disciples. And after he had done that, had ascended up to heaven. And when he ascended, an angel asked the question, now that you are here, what will happen to your work down there? And Jesus answered, in this dark world, I have sent my disciples to spread light. Jesus answered, the gospel message will be preached by my disciples. And he pointed out the names of those he had chosen, at least some of them. And then he mentioned others, Mary of Peter. He spoke of Mark of John. And then Jesus said, these are my servants and they are to continue my work. The angel asked further, what if they fail? With accomplishing the work you have given them to do, what other plan do you have? In this allegorical story, Jesus responded by saying, if they fail, I have no other plan. The servants of the living God must not fail in bringing light into the world. And Jesus had made every single provision for us to finish his work. We say servants are powerless. Well, Jesus gives the power. If we are incapable, Jesus makes us capable. We lack ability and talent. Jesus gives those two. This work cannot be done in human terms. Neither cannot be done by us sitting around and waiting for angels to do it. We are the servants of God. Beloved, if that is so, we ought to walk and talk and act like it. There are too many In our present day who are still living the life that was found in the book of Judges. There are too many Samsons who God has chosen, but yet still they love the homes of Delilah. There are too many Jephthahs who God has used, but yet still they're willing to sacrifice even their children. There are too many Gideons who God gives a strict, straight command, but yet still he is still doubting. Should I go tomorrow? Should I go the, the day after? Let me put a towel out and see if the dew would point out where you want me to go. Too many of us refuse to serve. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 24, page 1122, that's where we are. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Jesus was communicating that there will be difficulties and challenges with being a servant, but nonetheless, remember that I myself had suffered, and you must also walk through that journey in bringing light to the world. A young man was asked to go into the mission field one day. He was asked, he was sent from his college campus and having been tasked with this assignment, he decided to, he wanted to talk to a veteran who had been in the mission field for a while, Elder W.H. Anderson. This boy's intention was to learn more about the work, and so he comes to this elder and asks the question, I have a few questions for you, Elder, he said. First, what will be expected, expected of me if, as a missionary up north? And second, what will my salary be? Elder Anderson looked the boy straight in the eyes, placed his hand on his shoulder as a father does, and says, my boy, I shall answer your second question first. If you are concerned about your salary, you had better go to the brethren who have called you and tell them you are not prepared to go to the mission field. Then, in reply to your first question, what is expected of you as a young missionary, I answer everything. Everything must be given. Another author writes, I have generally found that those workers who are looking to see how much they are going to get from the Lord all the time are never satisfied. Those who are looking to get something from God will never be satisfied. But those who are looking to serve will always be satisfied. Dwight Moody was preaching a sermon once. And in while preaching, there was a, a lady, uh, there was a person in the congregation who, were, who was listening to his sermon. Dwight Moody didn't have much, uh, didn't have a very great way of using the English language. He was not very educated, and so he was preaching, and there were a lot of grammatical errors in his sermon. After he was done preaching, this person shook his hand and told Dwight Moody about how, all the grammatical errors that he made in his sermon. And it was about 50 the person was an English scholar and the person asked I've heard you preach the sermon and there are 50 grammatical errors in your message you need to correct that and he responded by saying lady I am using all the English that I know to win souls for Christ what are you doing with all the English that you know The world is still in darkness. Like in the book of Judges, the light is flickering. The God of our fathers is still forgotten. Outside of the walls of of this church, there's a lot going on. I wish that there were roots and Obeds today who would bring hope to the dying world. Today I want to close with a story. A few few years ago, A community had struggled with the epidemic of the yellow fever. This sickness was claiming the lives of many. Family after family was perishing in their homes. There are many fatal cases of the disease. The authorities didn't even stop to give a proper burial. There were too many people dying. It was just too much. And so they rolled a cart through the streets with the bodies of those who were perishing. And the poor, the rich, all suffered, many were carried away to their burial. There was one family who had moved to the neighborhood, they were sick themselves, and they moved and really wanted to receive care, but no one would visit their home. The neighbors of this family were very afraid of them, because they themselves did not want to get struck with the disease. No one would visit the home because of the fever. It wasn't long before the mother was stricken with the fever herself. Her husband had died days earlier, and now she was now sick because she was taking care of her husband. Before she died, she called her only boy, and she said to him, I will soon be gone, but when I am dead, Jesus will come and take care of you. She had no one on earth to commit her child to. And in a little while, she too had died. And they carried her body away to the cemetery. The boy followed along. The young son followed her all the way to the grave. He saw where they laid her, and then he came back to the house, this lonely house, he himself sitting there and weeping. He wept over and over again, trying to find some solace, some consolation, but nothing. But those words, Jesus will take care of you, rung in his mind. He found this lonely house to be dark and dreary and sad. He became so afraid that he decided to stay away from the house, and one day he went out on the steps, and there he began to weep. Finally, he decided, I want to go to the cemetery. And finding the lot where his mother was laid, he went, found her tomb, and laid down right there, weeping. Fell asleep right on her grave, weeping. In the morning, he heard the footsteps of a stranger. Stranger came to that very tomb that boy was laying. And the stranger said, my boy, what are you doing here? And he responded, I'm waiting for the Savior. I'm waiting for the Savior. The man wanted to know what the boy meant. And the boy recalled the story of his mother, son, son. When I die, Jesus will take care of you. This heart, the heart of the stranger was so touched that he, he, that he said, Well, my boy, Jesus has sent me to take care of you. The boy looked up at him and said, What took you so long? <laughs> I just imagine how many people are weeping on tombs around us, in our community, weeping because they have no hope, no light. In darkness, the the sadness, the gloominess, the the, the death, the the disaster, the tragedy. And here it is, that God is longing for servants to go and talk to these people saying, Jesus sent me to you. And I imagine that there are many who are going to to say, what took you so long? Let it not be said of us that we never came. Brothers and sisters, only servants can bring servants into the world. And Jesus is the greatest example of servanthood. And he needs to be delivered to those people who need him most. What will you do? Will you allow your lives and mine to be reflected in the book of Judges or in the book of Ruth? Will you be in Obed today? And will you be willing to serve? I want to ask you. Very simply, I want you to change your life. A message can never be given without a transformation taking place. And if the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart and you know that there's a place that has need of you, and there's something that you can do to make a difference in the life of someone else, including your neighbor, I want you to make that commitment to serve. Do not ask what I what I can get out of church services, but what I can do to serve the Lord. I ask that you make that commitment today. If God has spoken to your heart, I invite you to stand and I want to pray with you because I myself had to make that commitment. I said, Jesus, I said to the Lord, I want to commit my life to you in such a way that every single person that I come in contact with needs to learn about you. What is this world? If no one learns anything about the Lord that we love so much. Will we allow the world to perish around us while we refuse to serve? Will we allow others to never learn of Jesus Christ because we refuse to say a word on his behalf? I want to hear at the end of it all those words that Jesus spoke and still will be speaking as he spoke it prophetically. Well done thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. There are Ruths and and Obeds today in this congregation. And I want to pray for you that God may use you in a mighty way. Come back and share wonderful testimonies of how God is using you. This week I had the privilege of sitting down with a person at Michigan State University in in a very high position. And I took an appointment. I didn't know how to describe the appointment. I literally just spoke to the secretary, and I said, I need to meet with this person. And the question was asked, what, what is the content or what is the reason for your meeting? I said, simply, community. I don't know what to call it. And I went in with my Bible, and I opened the word of God to this person, and I shared what God had rested on my heart. And this person began to cry and said, you have no idea what this message means to me. You have changed my life. And I remember sitting down and listening and hearing those words. What if I did not go? That morning I did not want to get up. I felt so tired and overwhelmed. I felt, Lord, I didn't want to leave home. But I did. And God did a mighty work that day. No credit to myself. Jesus is still mighty. He's on the throne. He's still working. Let us pray. I want you to commit yourself to serving God as fully as everyone else around you. Let us pray together. Father in heaven. We make ourselves available now. We want to serve you. We want to give our lives to you, Lord. We want to be the servant of God as Obed was. We want to be servants as Ruth was. And Lord, though our days may be as dark as the days of judges were, we ask you, Lord, that you make us light bulbs in this world. And we pray that our light may never go out. We commit our lives to you now, Lord, asking that you fill us and use us in a mighty way. Even today, we ask, even in this week, when we go to the gas station to fill up our gas tank, we pray and ask that you tell us and speak to us and show us the right person to speak to and give us the strength to open our mouth and speak on your behalf. When we go to the grocery store there, Lord, we pray that you may help us to say a word of encouragement to the cashier who's been working hard. We pray that you may help us to speak words of comfort in our places of work, wherever we find ourselves. Help us to serve their God, we pray. We willingly commit to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.